0: Hey there, I'm Pete Townsend, and this is Money Never Sleeps. We look inside the minds of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is sponsored by Pat Fintech, training partner that demystifies fintech and digital finance for financial services professionals. On the show this week, we welcome back Andrew Mullaney.
1: Hi, I'm Andrew Mullaney, and I'm CTO of PreMind AI,
0: sharing his story on PreMind AI a deep tech venture providing institutional investors the edge through anticipating market reactions to news events. In this chat, we get into Andrew's insights from the last two-plus years of building pre AI, what he's figured out with how security markets respond to information, and we also look back on his top quotes from episode 57 back in September 2019 to see if his startup lessons learned held true. All right here on Money Never Sleeps. Money never sleeps, pal. All right, well, listen, we had you back in September 2019 on episode 57. God, that was a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, that was a long time ago. And lots to ask you about how the last nearly two years now have gone. But given that all of our listeners can go back to episode 57 and get your backstory, but why don't you just give us a quick recap on that anyway from your cup of coffee stint with Accenture, startup number one with EasyDeals.ie, Startup number two with Newswhip that effectively started on a restaurant in Parliament Street here in Dublin. And then now startup number three with PreMind AI. Just give us a quick whistle-stop tour through that, yeah?
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. I'll just go one before because I did a degree in electronic engineering. And, and that's a core core discipline, I guess, for for what I ultimately do. Definitely. Briefly went into Accenture, a uh, year and a half there. Did some automation, which is turning it out to be quite a big area now, actually. But back then it was just a load of macros excel and after that i decided i would go into this world of startups completely ignorant and have no knowledge at all youthful optimism is a great force and so yeah i set up easy deals it was a location-based deal platform and yeah it was a failure we focused on the irish market which was yeah. crazy but we didn't really know any better and back then you know things were being it was a big deal just to digitize anything so yeah. You know, the idea that all these companies would go online. But uh, as I said in the past, podcast you know, we were just too early. I didn't know anything about how to have a global play like that. And so... sure it was second, a great idea,
0: though. Yeah, it's
1: probably it's one that, like I said before, I think it's one that a lot of people have had. And I met a few people who tried it afterwards. And there was people who tried it before. And as I mentioned in the last podcast, it was interesting listening back, you know, what happened with Pointy. Those guys smashed it, but still not oh, yeah. surprised. Surprised that they got acquired because I don't think it's a challenging thing to be a standalone business. It's just so big. to Tackle the SMB global technology without like a, a huge engine behind you like Google. So mm-hmm. um, well done to the lads. That's fantastic. And then yeah, afterwards, you know, there's a bit of serendipity in how Newsweb happens, and you know, meeting Paul through a startup incubator programs and. Uh, trashing out ideas and I guess I'd learned that I wanted to go for global opportunities because obviously the Irish market was too small and the social media was rising you know it looked big back then but it was nowhere near as big as, as it is now I mean it's it's insane what how it has continued and so understanding how news spread through social networks you know it was a great idea then and it's only become more and more important and then this is premind and what we're looking at is understanding how. News and information impacts markets. So it's you know a development on my skill set from what I worked on in, in Newswift, for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. So many interesting lessons along the way, I'm sure. And we'll get to that in a minute. But you, with PreMind specifically, right? And you and I first met back in December of 2018. And you told me about it back then in my interest in the hedge fund space, just effectively focusing on the dead zone of medium frequency trading right? Where it's five minutes to one month. You show me the demo back in February. It looks like it's working to say the least, right? You know, given that PreMind is a deep tech, right? The difference between, I won't get into the difference between fintech and deep tech, but deep tech goes deeper. And because it goes deeper, it takes a lot longer. It's a lot more to do. And, you know, it, it takes a long time to get it to market. What do you think has taken longer, feeding the monster, which is effectively pushing market data and news through the machine learning algorithms, effectively training the machine? Or has it been just really, really hard tech problems to solve where your kind of CTO, mind-bending problem solver hat is on 24-7?
1: I think it's a mixture of a lot of things, really. What we're doing is a very difficult problem in terms of One of the main problems is the quantity of data. And, you know, this is something I have a lot of experience with in Newswhip and also the technological platforms have moved on even since we made the technology decisions in Newswhip. And so there's, there's more powerful things available that you can do, but that won't get you out of the hole entirely. So, you know, to give you an example. Let's say we stream through uh, a million articles a day. Okay. Let's say that can roughly burst up to 20 or 30 articles in a second. And let's say a article has on average 500 words. So you would have uh, 10,000 words a second coming through your system. And then let's say you want to monitor 57,000 stocks for which you have 20 description words of each. So you have a million words there. So you have 10,000 words a second coming through here that you have to stream through a million words over there. This is to get a match. Wow! You're not even starting with, you know, putting it into a model, putting it into some sort of metadata, putting it through a trained machine learning system and making prediction. Wow. So every trick in the book, really, to be honest with you. But we've learned a lot of the hard ones in, in Newswhip. Uh, You know, and another thing is your data bloats big time. That's another problem, which unfortunately have a solution. You don't think about trying to get rid of data when you start gathering it in the beginning until you've gathered it for seven years and then you realize you've too much of it. And so that's that's another thing (laughs) you probably have to start thinking about too.
0: Yeah, and you keep hearing this out in the market that those that are building AI-driven, algorithmic-driven, machine learning platforms that the cost of storing that data and churning that data just goes through the roof.
1: Oh, it's nuts. I mean, hot storage, but here's the thing, you know, if you can be smart about how, to, you know, if you know how the cloud works, for instance, you know, the difference between hot and cold storage, the price difference of maybe a hundred X, you know, but how do you power a machine learning engine off cold storage? Well, you're going to have to figure that one out. So yeah, yeah you know, again, it's just, I and mean, it depends on your use case, you know, in use with we... We gathered data and then we presented it. One of the good things about an AI, so maybe one of the few shortcuts you have rather than just gathering all the data and then having to train your systems, you may not have to build such a complicated presentation layer which can be good, you know, You know, and you may not actually have to have it all so actively stored in terms of you can have it stored, you can create metadata in some way and then, and then make predictions off that rather than have it potentially visible at the click of a button at any point in time, which is what we have to be able to do in Newswhip. People often, new customers might come in and try and like run a dashboard as we call them. They put limits on them now because they might go, okay, I want to see like how many social engagements Trump got in this whole lifetime the database and yeah (laughs) you're talking billions and billions and you know if we didn't protect for some of that they'd actually
2: pull the system
0: down okay i get it interesting
2: can i ask then because obviously me and pete have been discussing this quite a bit lately actually and we were really keen to get you back on like I obviously have an inside view in terms of getting to work with you guys, you and Barack, in terms of how things are progressing, which is fantastic. But on one hand, you're running these really complicated models, and you know all of the data you're talking about. And then on the other hand, you just you only have to look at the latest news article and what's going on in the stock market, and it doesn't make any sense. So I suppose I'm wondering: Is that like have you seen in the last year, in particular, like trying to build models like this versus? what appears to be no sense behind what's going on in the stock market.
1: Well, you see, you're, you're trying to see something that the machine would look for, you know, We're looking for patterns that are repeated, and those patterns are repeated over and over again, thousands and thousands of times a day. But The very minute you put something, a a cognitive term like sense onto it, you're out of the picture. And, And too many people try to put sense into this. We don't really care. We look for cause and effect. And no, I mean, the last year has been fantastic for us, really, to be honest with you. I mean, I now understand how it works. I can eyeball a lot of this stuff and i can even talk you through a lot of trades that i've just done knowing how the data is going knowing how the the flow of information is impacting the stock market what we've seen in the last year i, I wasn't as like last time we spoke or even before and i wasn't as connected to the understanding so i have more experience in this post-pandemic or a bit beforehand but time than i actually have from beforehand but what we see is firstly Highly information sensitive markets because information is controlling everything now. What are the government going to do about lockdowns? What's the story with stimulus? Who's allowed even trade? Are customers allowed to leave their houses? Are we allowed to go on holidays? Highly, highly information sensitive. And also, beyond that, is everyone's at home. So, you know, it's actually not physically possible for you to get information on the way than digitally. So it's completely measurable. On top of that, there is a huge level of volatility, which we see now in the markets due to this and the uncertainty, which also plays to a predictive algorithm quite well, coupled with a huge amount of stimulus, which has actually nowhere else to go because the economy is closed except for the markets. So it's kind of a perfect storm, if I'm honest.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that. I'm hearing that. Probably in some ways, it's been very beneficial to you guys, the volatility that's gone on. In terms of being able to test out the model and because like i said from the outside it looks like there's no sense whatsoever to what's going on with the stock prices but it's been incredibly valuable to you guys in terms of being able to run the models and everything over the past kind of years
1: i don't even need the computer to do it anymore i mean i can do it myself we could probably build a fairly reasonable hedge fund off what we know already it's just kind of exhausting and tiring but we have a lot of automated reports that do it and I mean, I can just talk through even the trades we did at the pandemic. At every turn of the pandemic, you just knew what was going to happen next. And so you can trade ahead of that. I guess maybe things are happening a little faster at the moment. But again, you know, back to the example I say there with 57,000 stocks and, and a million articles going through it, it is very tiring to do it manually. And I've done it manually. And all of the trades I've done, I've, they're companies I've never heard of. You know, they've come up through our system. We see that they get... Paired with something that happens, that's happening at the moment. Let's just take the, cor- the coronavirus crisis because people are so familiar with it. You know, in the beginning, the first major focus was on, if, if we all remember, it was on ventilators. And uh, so my first investment I went into Med- was Medtronic. They're, they're an Irish company, or they have Irish manufacturing. I don't know if they're actually Irish. And so it was 20% return in four days. And then, you know, that was a short lived one. And then after that, all the focus went on to testing. They realized that actually, well, ventilation wasn't really, if someone got onto a ventilator it was far, far too late, you know, this isn't the way to deal with this problem. And so, you know, the, the focus turned off it and then the next thing was testing. And so the first FDA approved test was LabCorp America and they had another rocket in a matter of days. And then after that, the focus went on to a drug solution, which actually didn't work out, Gilead. It was t- it was tipped, but there might have been a little bit of cake in the numbers. And after that, then uh, it went straight to vaccinations. And we actually traded off BioNTech twice. I think the first time we bought them in was twenty eight and sold them at forty five, wow. and then bought right. them again at eighty and sold them at eighty eight. And I think they're at about one hundred and forty now. Sometimes I wish I didn't play so short because if I just left the money in there, it would have been grand. But-
0: <laughs> yeah no But you're following the algorithm or you're following the yeah, that's the, a, the own rules that you're coming up with i'm only
1: doing it to learn how the thing will behave itself and also to earn some money for myself because it's fun but <laughs> this isn't the strategy of the business you know for me to make investments i just do this with my own money this is me to understand the, the, the cause and effect and to really tune the timing of it but it won't be me who's doing it at the end of the day And we have it, like I was saying to Owen there now, we have one of the key parts of of what we do is is our algorithms are able to detect when news was causal to market movements. And then I just encourage it to be so aggressive. If when you get a machine to do something and it can do it, it, it's almost intimidating. And like I looked today, we ran our loader, which goes to train our system. And it picked out this example, which... You know, this is the type of thing you'll see. This is the most exciting example it could find. And it was plus 20% in an hour. It was a company that does online restaurant technologies and the large restaurant chain had announced that they were going to use the technology. And it went up 20% the next hour with a delay, of course.
0: Wow. It's crazy. I I can only imagine. I can only imagine, Andrew, with just kind of getting to know you a bit over the last couple of years, that the diligence and curiosity and data and insights that you're just naturally inclined to dig deeper and deeper for, right? That you've done, at you know, the, the easy deals experience behind you, the news whip, obviously case in point, as CTO of that business, so much of that stuff needed to be done, right? Or else the product just wouldn't work, right? And now doing that in the public market space, it almost seems, dare I say, a bit unfair, right? That... You've had this deep, deep, deep experience in a field that's completely unrelated to the financial markets. And now you've taken all of that knowledge and you've brought it into the financial markets. And when you and I first met, you were just talking to a few hedge fund managers that you had met for the first time, right? You were new to this space. So I, I, you know, maybe retract that word unfair, but it just seems like it's amazing that you've been able to, to, to do this.
1: Yeah, I mean, the game is changing. Everything's like, look at the earnings reports of Amazon, of Apple, of Facebook. You know, technology is destroying it. You know, I mean, we're going to have to figure out whether economics can figure its way around it. These are straight up tech companies first and foremost. And, you know, these are difficult things to do, what we're trying to do. And tech companies have, have done them, you know, tech focused and the best in the world have done them. But, you know, other industries are watching and they just don't know how this paradigm shift in terms of what's possible now is going to impact them. They don't know how to align their organizations towards it. And I do think there's going to be just so much change in every industry. But I I think tech has been its own little world from the start. And and, and I think finance and, and, and fintech, you know, you were saying earlier on about the difference between. The beast, or whatever fintech V one, as I call it, is kind of digitizing banking, making payments go through instantaneously, which is great. It's crazy to think that the most powerful banking institutions could be deleveraged by something so simple. But mm-hmm. the next level then is the actual application of the more complicated systems that these technology companies are doing into all aspects of finance. It, it, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, like I said the last time, the next decade is going to be very, very interesting. Definitely, some of the big players will turn around and, and maneuver into the new world but there's going to be a huge amount of change
0: absolutely but just thinking about the 24 7 nature of the crypto markets and oh and you knew i was going to bring this in <laughs> but and the fact that the information flow in the crypto markets doesn't have that stoppage point of hey the market's closing for the next 12 hours or the next 16 hours or whatever it just goes and you've got this responsiveness of prices to news and sentiment that is unique to the crypto markets. Have you thought about that at all in terms of how these market closing in the public markets for 8 to 12 to 16 hours at a time kind of numbs the effect of some of the information flows or perhaps exacerbates it.
1: Yeah, yeah, look at it very very closely. I mean, fake news is is is, is an interesting one. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if it's real or fake. You know, if, if it's being read, it's having an impact. I mean, I think we shared yeah. something on LinkedIn. Barack, Barack found it again through our through our system, which picks these things out first. I can't remember what company it was. I'll have to, have to go and look at it. But some company made an announcement as an April Fool's joke. And, oh, it was yeah. Volkswagen.
2: Volks, Volkswagen. Volkswagen, yeah, yeah it. Volkswagen. Yeah, yeah. As they
1: it. yeah, That was it. And I can't remember, but it had a pretty significant impact on their stock. And, you know, it was just a joke. Yeah. And obviously it got out of hand and had that of, you know, they might even get in trouble from the regulators. They'll probably get away Since with it. Yeah. It's April Fool's Day. But, you know, who, who knew? You know, we might even have to have regulation about how April Fool's Day is treated from the fact that, you know, markets are so <laughs> sensitive to information. <laughs> and people are so cunning to the best of it. And then, then you go into crypto and it's absolutely insane. You know, it's, um. But sorry, your question was more about the 24-7 nature. I mean, we see it all the time. We see not only as far as I can tell, a lot of publicly tra- traded companies release information deliberately outside of ours, maybe to try and dampen the effect, maybe to try and increase mm-hmm. it. You know, it's, it, obviously there's option markets. So there's things, you know, there is a betting engine on the back of it. And then you can try and understand, you know, options markets are many professional investors versus, you know, the retail armies that may hit it. And so it's different types of companies making different types of releases have different types of impacts. And again, this is, why it's almost impossible for a human being to understand this, you know, one company that makes a release that has a popular type of following like Elon Musk is a great example. You know, I mean, he's got his own army of people who are so religiously loyal to him that, you know, he's almost playing his price like a fiddle. It's, it's incredible. You mm-hmm. know, he's actually created a very interesting stock, not only an interesting company, but the stock in itself mm-hmm. to be studied. With crypto, it's pure wild. I I think it's probably more analogous to a a kind of a gambling world. We haven't done any work in crypto just because it's not our sole focus, but there's absolutely nothing stopping us doing it. And, you know, I have been triggered by our system to look at Dogecoin and so forth. And I nearly did go buy a load of Dogecoin, but I just can't bring myself to do it. The algorithms are often telling me to do things, you know, even from the data analysis, because we're not on full prediction level yet. And I just don't have the cojones to do it to be honest. You know, like invest in hurts because <laughs> bankruptcy is a word that looks like it's going to to be great, you know. Had I've done it, I probably would have got three hundred percent return. You know, I should have known every part of my bones that the Americans weren't gonna let the company go down, but I just couldn't put my money behind bankruptcy. But you know, if you put your money behind plane crash yeah. when when a Boeing goes down at the right time, you're gonna make money. So, you know, yeah, I mean that's what you're saying. Yeah. There's no, no sense to I it, know, but, I know.
0: know but I mean, you know, the in the and and that's the weird thing about the crypto market is that it's hard to discern between some of the news that's driving sentiment. Well, I was going to say irrational sentiment, but you like sentiment, whatever it is, rational or irrational, right? As long as it's driving something and it's driving a price, and then there's. You know, for example, markets, um, <laughs> like a exactly. lot of rational I know. Economic,
1: that, economists, you know, yeah.
0: that's what we're <laughs> coming around rational. to. Like Ethereum, yeah. Ethereum's on a run right now. Ethereum started pumping up, going up the other day because there was a news item coming out about the European Investment Bank launching a hundred billion euro bond on the Ethereum network. Right. And mm-hmm. it got off to the races and it's like, OK, just one bit of news building on the next one and driving the price higher and higher. Do you think this is unique to the crypto markets or is it something that we are going to see more of in the public markets as well? It's already happening in
1: the public markets. I mean, the, okay. the, the real question is, you know, the real question is how much movement is there? Think of it like an earthquake. Like how much are the is the, is the soil on top going to move based on the shake below? You know, that's why I was saying during COVID, you could get... 25 30 40 50 100 up to three we've seen moves 300 percent on a day or two before that i didn't again we weren't quite as involved but you know we'd regularly see between five and ten maybe 15 percent before it so maybe it's a little bit more high than now but i'm not sure we actually had the depth in the in the system to actually pick out such good examples because we didn't have as much data covering the prices mainly okay so I mean, no, it's, I can just, I can give you so many examples. I mean, like MGM grant, I mean, one one of the other ones that we would look at would be say, because we don't, because again, you don't have time. If I was looking at examples, I might've looked at higher level narrative examples like ventilators or, or vaccines rather than, you know, say a specific mm-hmm. announcement. Like one company says that they're going to use another company, which gives 20% increase in that hour. So it's kind of hard to get at that level, but let's go into higher level. Like one of the biggest ones we see over and over in multiple countries is lockdown versus open up, right? Which happens based on government releases. And so some of the smarter companies also were getting onto this tailwind. So, you know, MGM Grand <laughs> turns around, announced that, by the way, their business is completely closed. No customers can enter it because of the restrictions. And they announced that when the lockdown is lifted, that there will be free parking. And that this is like a massively released story. And, you know, obviously everyone's bored at home and they can't wait to get back into the casino. And so they're all like, yeah, you know, this is great. And the stock price goes up like 25,
0: 30% over the next four days. I remember you shared that one with me. Yeah, unbelievable. It's crazy. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is sponsored by Pat Fintech, demystifying fintech and digital finance for financial services professionals. Pat Fintech enable financial services professionals to transform their capabilities into the digital age, with dedicated virtual training programs geared towards those that can develop, deliver, and monitor optimally customized user experiences, balanced by appropriate governance, control, and oversight. To learn more about Pat Fintech, go to moneyneversleeps.ie/patfintech. I, I shared the story of my MBA project where I compared the S&P 500 movement in, I think, the year 1994, 1995, to the subscriptions and redemptions out of a Fidelity investment fund that was tied to the S&P 500. And the correlation was like, it, it was there was no correlation, right? And it was that the psychology and rational or irrational driving what people were doing, withdrawing or investing more money into the S and P 500 fund, it was just it was all over the place. There, was that psych, psychological element of the markets. I hope that you're figuring that out.
2: I mean, if you want some answers, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll try. But what, what were you going no, to say? Oh, and go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask. I was going to ask as well. Based on what you're doing and what you're learning, and like given the examples, especially the Elon Musk example, how, if anything, can the market then be regulated? When you know someone like Elon Musk has the ability to as you've said a really apt description, you know, play the stock price of his business like a fiddle. How do you then manage or protect against manipulation? Or is it just a case that you leave everyone to it and they can just do whatever they want, sort of thing? It's a fantastic question, because
1: I've thought about it myself or just even generally. It's so funny, you know, like the rules of the market have been made based off on economic assumptions. And let's take, for example, the main economic assumption, rational is one, but the main economic assumption that we would target is the efficient market hypothesis. This is something that claims that piece of information is immediately put into the price. The market can quantify its value instantaneously. And I was only thinking about it today because, you know, really what they're saying is that information is so important that rational investors will read up on it immediately so that they know that need to do the right thing for their investment that's that's the statement right that that information is that important about an investment that you control that they will do this and to a degree there's an element of truth in it but it's actually impossible it's impossible because just like even the amount of reading that would need to be required to be done is not even humanly possible and then understanding the impact of something in terms of a rational response is also not possible and so you know how do you regulate it? I mean, it, it seems to come down to a judgment call. I mean, we talked about the the Wall Street bets. I mean, did you watch the the Congress and all? I mean, it was farcical. I mean, yeah. it was absolutely yeah. great entertainment. But me, I am not a cat.
2: Happens- <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, this is what happens when you take assumptions to the nth degree. I I, I think they still need them. It needs to be based upon economic theory. But at the end of the day, it's going to be possible for people with large audiences to use information. And on one side of the rule, it's manipulation. And on the other side of the rule, it's, you know, they're discussing a stock like we are right now. Or maybe I'm manipulating the market. Just nobody cares what I'm saying at
2: the moment. But maybe I suppose in that example is different in some ways. And maybe the regulation has to apply to the company. So Elon Musk, obviously, even when he tweeted out saying, oh, he thinks Tesla's overvalued and it tanked the stock almost instantly you know that's different because he has a duty you know to his organization to his shareholders as opposed to you know the what nearly a million guys on the reddit wall street bets Mm -hmm. site deciding to all go after something they don't fall under the same control I i thought the whole thing was fascinating i was watching it closely but you know it is it is a different view it's it's the market and the public are deciding to do this versus someone impacting their own company.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And with the Wall Street bets, you know, were they manipulating? Were they deliberately? I mean, pfft, God knows. But, you know, I mean, again, with, thanks to the efficient market hypothesis, thanks to that assumption that is underlying the entire market, all publicly pertinent information has to be published in order to make market participation fair. I mean, and so it's the algorithms are, they're fed because, or the humans are fed, you know, at the, at the, end of the day, because that's, what's been deemed fair is that, you know, okay, if the information is out there in the public domain and we all had access to it and you just didn't read it cause you were in bed or you were too lazy then, and you suffered a 20% loss then tough, tough. But if someone had some sort of advantageous information against you and, and did so, and then made a movement with that information in advance of that in- information being available so others, then that's cheating and 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 that's pretty much down to the down to that assumption as far as i can tell because the market has to be efficient in terms of everyone has at least the ability to make the decision on the information absolutely but as i know from experience in, in news it's impossible to have information it's impossible to have it instantly for many many reasons
0: yeah i'm with you Yeah. And I'm doing mental gymnastics, just thinking about this on three or four different levels at the same time, knowing what you're doing and metadata and predicting it feels like, and I've, oh, and you know, I I keep saying this, that the textbooks that my kids are going to be reading in 10 years time on economics and market behavior will be completely different than the ones
2: I read. Even the ones Um, I've read, like, you know, it's all changing. Huge change. It's all changing.
1: And look at Warren Buffett. I mean, you know, the intelligent investor, the Bible, Senior. it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's even if you take information out of it entirely, the the, the market dynamics have changed so much. It's almost like capitalizing businesses is now more of national security, maybe even in some cases, you know, national pride. And that it's so important economically to keep companies safe and keep employees hired that all of that stuff's gone, you know, maybe it's not gone forever, but, you know, certainly the hard-nosed investor like Buffett who can come in and lend you money at a, and capitalize your business because you can't get it from anywhere else is gone. I mean, the government at this, particularly at this point in time, it may change, but at this point in time, you know, it hurts. They will just give you completely incapable to function. you up to your neck in, I don't know what it is, 30 billion in debt. You can't rent in a car anywhere in the planet and you will be kept alive because, you know, I guess maybe it was unfair why you weren't allowed to be in business in the first place. But, you know, you're not going to turn to
0: Warren Buffett if the government is just going to give you infinite cash. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. So many crazy things going on out there right now. Listen, Andrew, I picked out a couple of quotes, a couple of my favorite quotes from episode 57 that we did back nearly two years ago now. So the first one was, when you go through the experience of failing, you carry all the knowledge. And then even though you've got way less, you're way out in the desert with way less water and way less food, but you know how to survive and you can get outcomes way, way faster. Has that held true over the last 18 months?
1: I think absolutely, yeah. I mean, the pandemic has hit every aspect of life. You know, it's obviously there's a load of personal things and different working habits and so forth, but it definitely, and things have kind of come around now, but in April last year, VC startup discussions, everybody was gone quiet. Everything went mm. down kind of just underground for maybe three months. Obviously you couldn't even meet someone face to face, but even still, we're now doing business in this way. And it's, it's actually brilliant because you can pitch to someone in San Francisco and then it's just someone in. Singapore and, you know we we have gotten rid of this you know requirement to shake someone's hand and go for a beer with them which is great if you live around the corner but you know it was making places like Silicon Valley almost impossible to do business because founders couldn't afford to be there and you know it was, from the VC's perspective there're a limited amount of people they could actually target because they felt they needed to be in the same city as their startup. So it, it's great but to, to answer your question again you know things went absolutely dead and and we were we were basically at the completion point of a, of a round and everything just stopped. And and I think everything stopped for everywhere. I, I haven't seen the hard data on, on startups. From what I've heard, you know, it's been very, very hard, certainly. And so that's a scenario where you're just going through the desert, you know, and it's just one of those things you've got to ride out, you know, and particularly with this one. It's one of these massive external scenarios that nobody could oh, ever yeah. predict, you know, it's just impossible Never mind a startup. I mean, startups are fragile anyway because, you know, they might have one big customer and if that customer switches them off, then they have to, you know, go through a real tough period. But, you know, this one was complete, you know, there's nothing you could do about it. You just have to be able to get through it. And so I, I do think that having the experience of just weathering through things, we didn't get phased. We, we were already working in a remote pattern anyway. And so it really didn't make a whole lot of difference from, from our business, except that the rest of the world had gone crazy, particularly before the markets actually started climbing because a lot of people were really scared oh yeah investors were really scared
0: yeah I hear you you just get used to it like w- when I first moved to Ireland in 1994 for six months on an exchange program I ended up in Galway didn't bring a raincoat right <laughs> I got used to it <laughs> walked around soaking walked around soaking wet all the time <laughs> a little bit different than being in the desert with no water, Seeing Galway with too much water, and a, and a bit more than that as well. Listen, episode 57, quote number two, I'm going to make eight decisions today and all of them are massively consequential. That's your first day as a startup. And then tomorrow, it's going to be 28. and The next day, it's going to be 38. How many massively consequential decisions have you made over the last couple of years?
1: <laughs> well, the funny thing, you know, as I was thinking about that, this time it's been a little bit different for me. I have probably made very few like decisions since i last spoke to you the decisions that have been made have been made by by barack and i'm sure then they were very consequential but i I, i've basically you know delegated that decision making and my whole focus has been on the tech side I, i guess i've made some decisions in technology i guess you could say that but that's my area of expertise so yeah i mean i don't spend any brain time really on stuff like that like what investors we should go with or whatever it works really well between the two of us that way and that allows me to focus we were able to get prototypes of news whip up reasonably quickly and then obviously there was a lot more development work on top of it but this one you know there's you not only have to get all the data in place and that's coming from multiple sources and there's a huge amount of it plus a huge amount of infrastructure and then a fair dollop of solid machine learning on top of it so uh, you know it's a bigger nut to crack oh yeah So I'm doing doing the kind of, what's the Barack Obama or the Mark Zuckerberg one, you know, I just wear the same shirt every day. So I don't have to think about which
0: one to wear. (laughs) (laughs) And like you said, remain relatively innocuous.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can achieve both. Actually, it's been the same hoodie, actually. I'm not wearing it now. It's a bit warm, but... I was wearing the same hoodie pretty much every single day. That's fine. And you can remain quite innocuous in this in this new world, you know. You can keep your calendar really clear and yeah, it's it's yeah, it's interesting.
0: What's so what's next? What what's coming next for Premind AI?
1: So we have we have coverage of 57,000 stocks. We do predictions. We can do predictions from anything from if we wanted to a minute, but there's not much point. 15 minutes up to pretty much any time duration we want. We have that set of algorithms that picks out correlations between news events and them um, and uh, stock movements and we have our own news pipeline so we've pretty much everything in place and we've also i've already built the training engine and so we're just scaling up the, the training on the system now so those examples that i said yeah we train train the system on it and then pretty much go straight for live predictions so yeah prove the usefulness of it uh as quickly as possible, really, which has been the plan from the start. Uh, but we're, we're we're really starting to get, to get within touching distance of it
0: now. And and the go to market strategy still with those fund managers, those money managers, hedge fund managers in the you know five minute to one month or fifteen minute to one month holding period.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, there's actually multiple use cases that you can get from this. One is alpha, so that would be finding that example there where is an announcement that causes a stock price increase by 20%. That is exciting for some types of managers. Then there's another one, which is called trade execution. So timing your entry and exit. And most funds are held as large-scale portfolios, and they may have hundreds of stocks. And so you might have made a decision to, you know, tilt the portfolio from I say at the start of the pandemic, you say, hey, I'm going to tilt it from maybe I had some too much in construction and, and this pharmaceutical area is going to look important in the next six months. So we should move our pharmaceutical numbers from 15% to 20%. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to do that in the flick of a switch because you're going to eat your own cake in terms of you'll impact the price as you start to, to release your positions. And so if you can do that with some some sectoral knowledge around when to release it, then, then that's a lot smarter. And then we can go into different types of trading mechanisms as well. I mean, we're looking at the moment where we're obviously in publicly traded equities, but we can go into FX, we can go into crypto, we can, we can grow, you know, so that's another area where we can widen into, there's a lot of scope. There's a lot of scope really to, to develop it. So picking Absolutely. the focus is, Loads. Is, is key as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does it does almost feel like something where it's just let the customers guide you, right? As to how they are using the product and they're going to discover things for you that you perhaps hadn't thought of yet. In terms of yeah, or, may, or maybe making the money.
1: money a little bit, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 you know, it's an effectiveness of the algorithm to pick out trading opportunities or positions, either attack or defense. We use a kind of sporting analogy, alpha is, is kind of an attack and the defense on the portfolio tilting side of things. So where where it works best would probably be our our first area of focus in terms of you know highest returns. Or yeah, you're right. The customers will ultimately be the ones to notice that. And so they will be, they will be, they will be guiding us because they will let us know what's, what's
2: actually working for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Very good. And Owen. Yes. It's that time of the episode again. It It is that time. (laughs) Andrew, tell us something that you haven't already told us that people don't know about you. (laughs) This is always the
1: toughest
0: question, isn't it? How do you, how does everyone get with this one? We had one person who refused to answer it. And really? said, "I'm just, I'm just not going to answer Maybe that. I'm going to let them that them one high. go." I'm like, "Okay, that's fine." Yeah, I'm sure I did. I don't remember who it was. So they um, were relatively innocuous. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think I
1: mean, my girlfriend, she always says, "You know, I'm just like such a typical Irish male," and I think in nearly everywhere I am, like so. But then I think people do get quite surprised. Definitely, I, I, I wouldn't be like I said the last time. I wouldn't be too. Forward with with what I do. So then sometimes that comes out and that surprises them, or even say obviously if you're kind of a, a hard Irish male, you know you know I've I've actually done quite a lot of traveling as when I was younger uh, as a child, and I didn't really grow up in Ireland. I grew up in the Middle East in Saudi Arabia actually, which is a bit nuts, and in, in a bit in the US, and yeah. So I guess and then uh, from one extreme to the next, I went from being in the Middle East to uh, being in an Irish boarding school so yeah most people don't don't know that i guess i think i'm just a, a regular wow. guy innocuous
0: <laughs> that that's quite a, a teenage a experience team, to have if,
1: your formative years if you if you had come from ireland and you didn't have an umbrella but maybe if we just brought you in a little bit earlier no umbrella into into school <laughs> you could you get it yeah
0: yeah i know i know i know yeah no umbrella absolutely all right well listen Andrew, thanks so much for coming back. It's awesome to get this update. And I want you to come back in another 18 months and tell us how wildly successful it's been so far. So thank you. Definitely. Really enjoyed it, as always.
1: Very much. Me too, guys. Yeah. Let's stay tuned.
0: (laughs) That does it for this week, folks. And thanks to Andrew for opening up his mind to help us figure out why he does what he does. Links are on our website at moneyneversleeps.ie, so check us out online and subscribe to our Money Never Sleeps newsletter as well. Also, thanks to Conan Brophy from Create Sound for mixing and editing this episode. Conan is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I'm the founding partner at Norio Ventures, and I'm an early stage startup advisor and investor focused on fintech and digital assets. If you'd like to talk to me about your business, drop me a voicemail on moneyneversleeps.ie. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See you.